what's going on? So I wanted to talk today about the science behind approach anxiety and how to cure it. So this is something that I've been thinking about for a while. And of course, this is like one of the hottest topics, if not the hottest topic, when you get into the whole pickup thing or when you get into RSD is this whole thing about approach anxiety. And I've expressed this in other videos that I believe approach anxiety is a chosen belief that you can actually choose whether you want to believe in it or not. And as a result of that is how you feel about it. So I just want to show you really quickly some of the science behind this. So I'm going to go ahead and share my screen here. All right, so this is actually something called uh, from the HeartMath Institute. And I learned this actually going to one of Tony Robbins' events and he talks about the, the science behind emotion. So it's interesting because we don't really think about emotion and science going hand in hand, but what the HeartMath Institute has done and their mission is basically to map out your emotions based on biological markers, such as your heart rate variability, your blood pressure, your breathing, etc. So here is one chart of where you can see a, a frustration versus appreciation. So you can see that when you're in a frustrated state, there's a lot of jagged edges here and it looks like it's not really smooth and it's more incoherent and unpredictable. Now, when you are in a state of appreciation, there's more of a smooth, a smoothness to the curve and it's more balanced. So what happens when you have approach anxiety? Well, it looks similar to this, right? Because anxiety is one of those states that we would perceive as a negative state. And so your heart rate variability is looking closer to this. Because heart rate variability is oftentimes a measure of longevity, so how long you're going to live, and is actually one of the biggest measures of your health. So you can see here, frustration is jagged, appreciation is smooth and balanced. And if we come down to some of these other graphs here, so this is your respiration, your heart rate variability, and your blood pressure rhythm. So comparing these, you can see that there's a similar pattern of unpredictability and it's just more incoherent. Same thing with heart rate variability and your blood pressure. But when you're in a state of appreciation, it turns closer to this. So imagine this, when you are feeling approach anxiety, and what, regardless of whether it's talking to girls or you're in a business situation and someone who's very successful is on the other end of the table and you start to feel nervous or you're on a sales call, you're gonna experience one of these, right? You're either gonna experience this state or this state. And this is also what we call a flow state is when everything is in alignment. So here's the thing is that when you call it approach anxiety, even just the language that you're using is putting you into this kind of state because you're telling yourself, I have anxiety. That's what you're telling yourself with that language. And so your thought is, I have anxiety. 
and you start to experience these physiological signals of anxiety. The interesting thing was, and I've mentioned this in the past, but basically when I was working with some of the nightclub promoters or guys that enjoyed going out, they would never use the word anxiety to describe their emotions when they're out there. Like, I'm excited, it's fun. So they would interpret that same sensation as excitement, not anxiety. Maybe they would feel some butterflies in their stomach, but it wasn't anxiety to them. It was actually excitement. So Tony Robbins actually talks about three different ways you can change your state. Number one is changing your physiology. Number two is changing your focus. And number three is changing your language or your meaning. The reason I tell you this is because I've gotten this question quite a bit in the past about how do you cure or get rid of approach anxiety? And the interesting thing about that question is that you're basically presuming that approach anxiety is something that you have. Now, let's go down here. I believe there's one more. Yeah, relaxation, appreciation. So here's what I also realized on my meditation retreat. When I did a meditation retreat a few years ago, and I did one, it was like a 10-day Vipassana meditation retreat. You basically live with the monks, you have no technology, and you know, you're not allowed to go on your phone at all, computer, you can't even talk to anyone. You can't talk to anyone else on the retreat except for a monk who checks in with you once a day. And you basically get to talk for 10 minutes. Otherwise, everything else is in complete isolation. And you're not allowed to eat afternoon. Basically, you have one meal at 7 a.m., one meal at 11 a.m., and they're both vegan meals. And the rest of the time, you spend either just dwelling, you're outside, you're sitting down, you're in your room, or you're meditating, where there's basically a temple where you can go meditate. What I realized on this meditation retreat is the difference between gratitude and entitlement. And I believe that it's like a continuum or a spectrum. On the one hand, you have entitlement, where basically you feel like you're owed something. You have high expectations. You think that you deserve X, Y, and Z. You deserve to have a certain type of life. And you're mad you get angry when you don't get that. So for example, when you walk up to a girl and you expect a good reaction, you're in that state of entitlement and you're expecting her to react in a certain way. And when she doesn't, you start to feel disappointed, which puts you in this state we just talked about with the heart math. Your, your physiological signals become more erratic. Now, when you're in a state of gratitude or appreciation, the whole thing flips around. You're not expecting anything. You're just walking up because you feel like it. You're, you're walking in congruence with how you feel. And with zero expectations, you're able to bring that energy of appreciation, which you also see here with the heart math, right? So it's here. So this is the science of vibe. And this is what people talk about when they say vibe is how is your physiology? What is that energy or the vibe that you're giving off? Because what actually happens is that people can feel this. There's an energy field 
And when you're giving off this kind of vibe of erratic behavior, people can sense that, especially women are very attuned to this. Because like I discussed before, we naturally have different biological functions in nature. Men, to be, men tend to be more task-oriented and women tend to be more nurturing. That's just how it is in the state of nature. I'm not even talking about humans, I'm talking about all animals. So I'm not really being prejudiced against any sort of gender, I'm just saying this is how nature works. And of course, there's guys who are feminine and women who are masculine, but it's about the energy that they're giving off. So that's what it comes down to is the vibe and the energy. It breaks down in this sort of chart or this graph. So the second question, this begs the question of, okay, we know what it is. How do we cure it or get rid of it? There's a few ways that I found for myself to be effective and it's not the same for everyone. This requires a lot of self-awareness and self-discovery because what works for me may not work for you, but I can talk about what works for me and the type of person I am. So I'm very introverted and I grew up in a culture where I was very much focused on work instead of going out and partying and having fun. My personality is more analytical than anything else. I played a lot of video games. I'm Asian. I study a lot of math. And that's not even just to fall into the stereotype. I actually majored in math. So maybe you're similar to that. Maybe you're, you're an engineering major or a computer science major, or you're a math major, physics major yourself, or even a philosophy major. I took a lot of philosophy classes or economics. I also took a lot of economics classes, whatever it is. If you're more analytical, then chances are there might be an incongruence sometimes with your head and your heart. Because by layering on a lot of rationality on top of the way we behave, we tend to overthink things. And the reason I tell you this is because sometimes we're more susceptible to feeling that feeling of approach anxiety. Because you see other people out there, maybe they're people that are the people persons, right? You might know a few of those people. They're very charismatic, they're outgoing, maybe they're in sales, and they just tend to have this natural charisma about them. They love people, they love talking to people. And you wonder, your, wonder to yourself, why am I not like that? What makes me different? And I've been my entire life thinking about this question because I was super quiet throughout elementary school to the point where I even had ear surgery because my parents thought something was wrong with me. I didn't really talk that much. And I was also voted the quietest kid in my, my middle school. But what I've actually seen is that there are some occasions when I do feel like talking to people and I feel in that state of flow and I'm giving off good energy. So I look back to those instances and maybe you can think of some for yourself where you felt that way. And they fall into a few categories. Number one is sports. I played a lot of sports growing up and sometimes I feel very confident when I'm on the field. And because I feel that com confidence and competence, sometimes you feel that, feel that competence 
the confidence in your competence in something. So if you're good at chess, if you're good at math, if you're good at school, if you're good at sports, then when you're on that field or you're in the classroom or you're in that setting, sometimes you feel that confidence that comes from that and that actually spills over into your social interactions. And I found that to be the case when I was, I played ultimate Frisbee in college. And when I, whenever I stepped onto the field, I would be super confident. I would be very social with everyone, guys, girls, whatever it was. So that was one instance where I found a lot of confidence. And most likely there's at least one instance where this is the case for you. Whether that was sports or maybe even solving a Rubik's cube or taking math, even the nerdy stuff counts or video games. Sometimes you get that feeling of you're, you just own it. Now, what you can do is if you align that state in a different context, what I mean by that is let's say I take that confidence that I feel on the Frisbee field and I lay it over the context of a casual social situation, then I would be confident in that situation, right? So if I have that same confidence from the Frisbee field as I do in a nightclub, then I start to feel that state. And then what happens is I behave differently and I carry myself differently and I'm more in this kind of state than this kind of state in the nightclub. So sometimes what happens is we're not used to the nightclub environment. We're not used to the bar environment and that unpredictability and that feeling of people judging us puts us immediately in this kind of erratic state. So the key is to really master your emotions. And I'm going to talk about how to actually do that. But first I want to really emphasize that concept is it's not so much that you have this anxiety that you're diagnosed with psychologically. It's just that you're feeling a, a certain state in a certain setting and you're associating that state to that setting. And maybe it's because you had bad experiences when you're growing up and you went to house parties or something like that. And you felt left out, which is exactly how I felt. I was a kid in high school who I wasn't really invited to parties in the first place. And then my senior year, because I was dating a girl who was more extroverted, I would go to the parties with her and I would feel so uncomfortable. I remember not really wanting to be there and I wouldn't want to talk to people. And I was definitely in this kind of state here. So what have I done to adjust myself and calibrate myself so I can experience a different state in these different contexts? It's actually through a practice. And it's going to sound kind of, you might be skeptical hearing this because it has a lot of stigma attached to it. And it's basically the process of visualization. And you could even use affirmations in there as well, but it's not how you think. A lot of people do visualization wrong. What they try to do is they sit there and they just imagine themselves in a situation. It's better than nothing, but something that is actually more effective than that, that I found for myself that has worked a lot better, 
is putting myself in a state. And maybe instead of just visualizing, I can put myself in the state of confidence first. And what I do is I imagine myself in that situation of confidence, for example, the Frisbee field. And I note my physiology, my focus, and my language. I notice that my chin is up, my chest is higher, I'm breathing deeper. So maybe you want to do that now. Think about a time where you experience confidence. So close your eyes and think about a time or a context or a situation where you feel confident. Maybe that's playing basketball or baseball or even just playing chess, whatever it is. Feel that feeling. And there doesn't have to be any social environment involved. It's just a context where you feel confident, even taking a test. And take notes of your physiology. How are you breathing? Are you breathing deep or are you breathing shallow? Take note of your chin position. Is your chin up or is it down? Take note of your shoulders. Are they up and back or are they slouched forward? Take note of your chest. Is it up or is it down? Now take note of what you're focusing on. What are you telling yourself in this situation? What are you focused on? And also take note of the language. What is the self-talk that's going on? So once you're done feeling that and you're taking note of everything, open your eyes and realize that you basically did a self-assessment of your entire state, your physiology, your self-talk, your focus, and your language. Now do the same thing for that approach anxiety situation. Maybe you feel like, I don't want to talk to this girl. Like you see a girl walking by and she's your ideal type. You want to talk to her, but something's stopping you. So go ahead and close your eyes, imagine yourself in that situation. Imagine yourself just casually out and maybe a girl walks by that you really want to talk to. You're very attracted to her, but something's stopping you. Take note of your physiology. Is your breathing shallow or is it deep? Is your chin up or is it down? Is your chest out or is it down? Are your shoulders back or south forward? What are you telling yourself? Are you telling yourself, I don't have to do this? Are you telling yourself, I shouldn't do this? Are you telling yourself, what will people think if I go and talk to her? What's going on through your mind? So once you're done with this, open your eyes and I want you to really think about what was going through your mind. 
and compare that against how you felt when you were confident. Chances are you had a very different experience in both cases. So the key here is going to be how do we take that confident state and apply it to the context of you wanting to talk to that girl or it doesn't even have to be a situation where you want to go talk to a girl. Maybe it's even in business where there's someone you really look up to who's successful and you really want to go talk to that person. Whatever it is, approach anxiety is really contextual sometimes. And it's an interpretation. If you give yourself a different perspective, sometimes you'll feel differently because you're going to redefine the meaning behind your sensation that you're experiencing. And like I said, visualization is one way to do this, where you imagine yourself in that situation. Let's just take the example of the attractive girl walking by. You imagine, you visualize it, but more importantly, you feel the emotion. So when you do that visualization process, feel the emotion initially, what first comes up, but then practice changing that state into that state of confidence so that your breathing is different. Your chin is up, your shoulders are back, your chest is up. You practice that state. And what starts to happen is this becomes a habit. So when you go out and you see that attractive girl, you're immediately going to snap into that different state. Take some practice and it doesn't necessarily happen instantly, but with enough practice, it begins to happen for you. And there's a lot of studies on visualization and you could go even deeper. For example, there's this one study that Tony Robbins talks about, and I've heard about this study in psychology class as well, is this study about these basketball players and they basically took three different groups of basketball players. They had one where they would practice shooting free throws physically. They had another group that was a control group where they didn't practice at all. And then they had a third group of players that would visualize, they would only visualize the shot. And I believe there was actually one other group where they did both. They did visualization and physical practice. And what they found is that the last two groups, the one that did physical practice and visualization practice, and the ones that did visualization practice only were the two groups that performed the best. And they were literally neck and neck. And surprising because the physical practice group, they didn't really perform better. They actually performed slightly worse than those other two groups. That just goes to show the power of visualization. And there's a lot of athletes out there that talk about it. But it's interesting that we apply it so much to sports, but we don't apply it so much to social situations. But it can literally change your life. And I use visualization over and over in different situations, not just with the approach anxiety, but regardless of whatever it is, 
if there's a time where I feel like I have to deliver or perform, then I'll practice through visual visualization first, whether that's speaking on stage or talking to people or whatever the case is. So that's one thing. Now there's a couple of other ways that you can start to adjust this and remember that you also want to go out and talk to people too. But if you don't do the framework or the underlying, you don't build that underlying foundation of all of this when it comes to visualization, when it comes to your breath work, you can also do that. Um, how to control your breathing or being able to master your emotions in these different situations, it's always gonna be there. The issue is that you're never getting to the core of it. And here's the next part I wanna go into is how do you go even deeper? What is the source of this approach anxiety? And oftentimes, 90% of the time, it's because of your parents. It's because the beliefs that they had stop you from wanting to talk to people. And I get this a lot, especially from guys that are Asian or guys from a very Western conservative culture. Like when I went to London, for example, they were very socially reserved. And of course, I know a lot of Asians because I myself am Asian and I also went to a school with mostly Asian people. Um, but I find that these cultures tend to creates a more reserved social culture. And so you really need to dig deep as well. You have to get to the core of where is this coming from? Because I've done this myself is I asked myself, how did I feel when I was trying to talk to that girl, but I couldn't for some reason, there's something stopping me. And I'll ask myself why and I told I basically, this is something that Julian used to teach. It's called following the trail of whys, where you ask yourself why this and why that and why that, and you get deeper and deeper. So I would start with the feeling. I would start with, how did I feel? And ask myself, why did I feel that? And I said, well, it's because I have this belief that I shouldn't be talking to people or I shouldn't go and just talk to girls that I don't know. And ask myself, why do I have that belief? And eventually what I found is traced back to my parents and basically them saying, you have to respect people's space. You can't just go talk to strangers. And this belief is so hardwired into us and it becomes part of our programming because basically what we are, we're just like computer processors where we have this programming. And in order for us to reprogram ourselves, we have to realize the source or where this is coming from. And if it comes from your parents, here is the key step is you can't just blame them for putting you in this position. You can't just blame them for putting you in the position that you currently are. Because that's our natural tendency is to create a victim mindset and tell ourselves the reason I'm socially awkward is because of my parents. I used to tell myself this story all the time. But what you have to come to realize is parents, there's no guidebook for it. They don't take a college course for parenting. There's no 
course that people take, I mean, there are courses and books out there, but most parents just go into it and they wing it. They try to figure it out on the fly. And you can't necessarily blame them for that. They're going to make mistakes. So coming from it, from a place of empathy, that allows you to release. And so if you're able to forgive them for where you are now, and beyond that, be appreciative for how they raised you. If you put yourself in this state of appreciation, you start to feel this and you start to release from the cause. And this is basically where it comes from is most of the time we're spending most pickup coaches and most RSD coaches. And when I was coaching for RSD, I would do the same thing. I would treat the symptoms, not the cause until I had this realization, but I would, I would treat the symptoms which would be, I want you to stand up straighter, have a louder voice, have better eye contact. I would treat the symptoms, but not the cause. It is good to practice these things to develop better eye contact and this and that. But what happens is that you fix that one thing and then it manifests itself in another way. So let's say you fix the eye contact thing and then all of a sudden you start talking softer and then you fix the loud voice and then you start to do this weird thing with your hands. It's going to manifest itself. And even when you get further along, it's just pushing the symptoms further along because you're not dealing with the cause. If you think about it, it's kind of like if you have a cold, instead of taking medicine, you just buy a bunch of tissues because you're sneezing a lot or your nose is running but you never actually fix what's going on underneath. So I'm helping you explore what is that cause underneath this approach anxiety thing. And so far what we've broken down is this is the science behind it. And from a psychological perspective, it really does have to do with how you were raised and that environment and condition. It's crazy to think that most of the way we were programmed and most of our thinking, 90% of our thinking is developed between the ages of zero and eight. Most of our thinking comes from the ages of zero and eight. The good news is that because you're even watching a video like this and that you're in self-development, you know that you can change these programs you know that you can change your beliefs and rewire them. But the truth is that a lot of these programs were set into place when we didn't really have a choice, when we were younger. But you can't blame anyone for that. That was just the conditions in which you were raised. What you can only focus on is changing these beliefs now. And once again, it goes back through first knowing yourself, having self-awareness. And so this is another context in which I started to feel approach anxiety fade away was when I did a 10 day Vipassana meditation retreat in Thailand. And at the end of the 10 days, number one, I really knew who I was, which I'm nothing. 
that was my big realization is that I really am just a being in the world. I'm just an animal. There's nothing special about me. All these labels that I have are self-imposed or they're imposed upon you by society and you believe them. But really it's just for our convenience because as humans, we have to compartmentalize things. We have to categorize people as that person's a doctor, this person's a father, this person is part of RSD. We start to see people as falling into different categories. But at the end of the day, what are we? We're really just animals. We're really just beings in existence. I'm no different from an ant or a dog. I'm just living. And eventually we're all going to die. So that was a significant realization for me, is realizing that our identities are self-imposed. So if you view yourself as, I'm this type of person, I'm an introvert, and I do call myself an introvert. But it's realizing that you get to choose how you identify yourself. And once you realize that and real, realizing that these labels are a choice, you get to redefine yourself. And so that's really the first step is get to the core of realizing that all of this is just made up. It's an illusion. And these labels that people are putting on each other, or, you know, if people see you as a quiet person, or if people see you as not good with girls, or if people see you in a certain way, you can always change that. It starts with you. And sometimes there is more resistance if you're hanging around people that reinforce that belief all the time. But if you take yourself out of that environment, or you just have a very strong will and a very strong belief, and you reinforce that belief with visualization or even affirmations, but affirmations, you just have to be self-aware on what works for you. Because some people are just, they don't really believe in that practice. So it doesn't really work too well for them. And it's because they don't believe in the practice and that's totally fine. Just find something that works for you. And then once you define your values and what you stand for and who you are, your personal brand, and you start to live in alignment with that, that's when a lot of the anxiety fades away. And that's when you're quote unquote being yourself, which that's, there's a lot of advice saying, just be yourself. But it's like, what does that actually mean? Just be confident. Well, it means that you're living in alignment with who you want to be. You're not really giving it too much thought. And it's to the point where it becomes unconscious confidence. You're not thinking about it too much. You're not overthinking. You're just acting in congruence with who you believe you are. And the last part of this whole approach anxiety discussion is realizing that this is a choice and the choice starts with who you are. You have to choose who you want to be. Do you want to be someone who believes in this approach anxiety stuff or do you want to be someone who redefines it in whatever way you want? For me, I redefined it as approach excitement. I saw myself as being more excited to want to talk to people. I know that there's this inner urge to want to talk to people that we all have. And it's just our brains that get in the way. 
And here's another thing is that sometimes we even know that and then we tell ourselves, oh, I shouldn't be feeling this way. And you start to beat yourself up and judge yourself. And then that just creates this spiral of, well, I shouldn't be feeling this way because I know that it's just my mind, my rational mind taking over. So I want to feel unhinged. I want to feel totally free, but I can't. And then you start judging yourself because of that. The key is to be also forgiving of yourself and trusting yourself and trusting your instincts and surrendering to that. And also when there are situations that you miss, realizing that that's okay. That was a big one for me because I tend to be very perfectionistic. I tend to have very high standards for myself. And this was inculcated into my mindset when I was growing up and I would get good grades in school and that was reinforcing my validation. But then realizing that that just also reinforces my addiction to that validation. So what happens is you start to judge yourself when you don't get that good grade or you don't do what you wanted to do or things don't go your way. You start to beat yourself up. So being able to release from that feeling and forgiving yourself and trusting yourself, that's truly where self-love comes from. And once you're able to do that, and here's actually, this is what I wanted to leave you with is there's a practice that I do that has really helped with this. And what you need to do is you need to treat gratitude like a muscle, like you're developing it and training it. Because one of the practices that I do is I write down what I'm grateful for every morning, 20 things I'm grateful for, 10 reasons I'm grateful for my girlfriend, 10 reasons I'm grateful for my mom, 10 reasons I'm grateful for myself. And the reason why I choose these things is because I spend a lot of time with my girlfriend and my mom, I have a lot of underlying issues, emotional issues that I still sometimes deal with, but I've improved it through this practice. And by coming from a state of appreciation, you start to see the world differently and it starts to change your behaviors and your outcomes. And also being grateful for myself because without self-appreciation, it's very easy to fall into self-victimization. And lastly, I list off 20 things I'm grateful for overall, whether that's my health, my body, growing up in the US, my childhood, all of my experiences, whatever it is, you can be grateful for anything. But it's just perspective when we lose sight of that. And what happens is that when you go out and you see that attractive girl, instead of thinking that it's an obligation that you have to go approach her, otherwise you're gonna beat yourself up, you come from it from a place of gratitude where you're like, I get to approach this girl that I'm attracted to. This is amazing. That's why I hate, I remember there was coaches that would talk about, I would be kicking myself all day if, you know, that's coming from a place of regrets. And I don't, I mean, if it's, if it's congruent with how you feel, then sure, that's fine. But for me, I see it as your, my main goal was to be able to come from those situations 
from a perspective of appreciation instead of regret. Because that's almost coming from a place of self-judgment. Instead, if you're coming from a place of appreciation and you're just sharing your energy, your positive energy or your, your flow, and once again, we, we, we defined the positive energy part here, you put yourself in a good state emotionally. And I've given you several ways on how to do this. And there's an unlimited number of ways you can do this, depending on what kind of person you are. It's about finding what works for you. It's not about just using what I do, but because sometimes writing doesn't work as well for people. Sometimes it's in playing music or exercising or changing your physiology, whatever it is, find what works for you and do that. So I'll just leave you with that. This is pretty much all of my thoughts when it comes to the whole approach anxiety thing, the science behind it, but also how to address it. And overall, it's this framework that you can apply to anything. It doesn't have to be just approach anxiety. It can come into any sort of situation where you feel that you have anxiety. And I put that in air quotes because that's a chosen word. That's a chosen belief but any place where you feel resistance. If you feel resistance when it comes to sales, for example, let's say you're a salesperson and I used to be a salesperson myself and I would get anxiety sometimes going on the phone with someone or knocking on a door. You have a very similar sensation. It's about practicing that gratitude through visualization, through writing it down, through, over, through doing whatever medium works for you. And once you practice that state, it becomes more effortless. So that's what I'll leave you with. And hopefully this helps. Hopefully you're able to apply some of this into your own life. And we'll talk soon. Take care.